I think people can sometimes get this impression of the early church, the church at the time of the New Testament, and, and feel a little bit idealistic about it, that it was life then was kind of easier and less complicated. Your choices and daily life would have been easier. The whole pace of life would be slower. And we can tend to think that life as Christians would probably have been easier back then than it is for us today. Less distractions, less temptations in that busy world, in our busy world. Uh, We have mobile phones and internet, they didn't have those things back then. Well, we start this morning to look at this uh, letter to the church in Corinth. And life certainly wasn't easier in Corinth. Being a Christian in Corinth was every bit as difficult. In fact, I think it would have been probably a lot more difficult than being a, lot, being a Christian here in Balmain today. The issue in Corinth is not persecution. In fact, it's almost the opposite of persecution. The issue is one of needing to stand out, to be different to the society. See, here's a church with more than its fair share of problems. There are divisions in the church. There is shocking immorality that we'll see over the next few weeks as we move a few further a few chapters on there are misunderstandings about spiritual guilt spiritual gifts and there is pride and selfishness in the church here's a church that seems to have many of the problems that we still have in our churches today now paul begins this letter with his kind of customary greeting back in Paul's day the convention was to start by saying a few nice things and a few uh, reminiscences of when you've actually visited that place so have a look at what he says here in chapter one and starting at verse number four is his little greeting I always thank God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus for in him you have been enriched in every way in all your speaking and in your knowledge because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gifts as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into his fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Now, This isn't actually just a greeting. This is virtually the index page for everything that Paul is going to talk about in this letter. He's going to spend a lot of time talking about wisdom and knowledge. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts. He's going to talk about the return of Jesus. And above all, he's going to talk about living a blameless life. It's almost as if he wants to introduce these ideas here because this is what the rest of the letter will be talking about. And following on from the, gre- from the greeting, he launches into a pretty significant issue in the church, and that is pride, which is causing division. So pick it up in chapter 1, verse number 12. Some people in the church seem to be saying, oh, well, I follow Paul, and others are saying, oh, well, I follow Apollos. They were the men who came with the gospel a- and shared that good message with them. But sadly, now there is pride and divisiveness because of those two people. Well, not because of them, but they're being put at the centre of these divisions. 
Now, you might have encountered this sort of thing in your Christian life as well. People who will say things like, oh, I became a Christian under the ministry of so-and-so, or I was attending such-and-such when the Reverend Wonderful was the senior minister there. Have you heard that kind of thing? People seem to be suggesting that their Christian experience is somehow more superior to yours. I mean, sure, they became a Christian just as you did, but, but they became a Christian under the ministry of this particular person. Well, that seems to be what's happening in Corinth as well. But Paul wants to get right to the very heart of the matter. They're divided because they've taken their eyes off Jesus. They've taken their eyes off the gospel. God no doubt raises up Bible teachers and preachers. There's no question about that. Raises up people who can have a significant impact. Here's a couple of names who just sprang to mind for me. John Piper, John Chapman, Tim Keller, Billy Graham. I mean, God has clearly used those men. But all of them would not want anyone pointing to them. They would want everyone to be pointing to Jesus because that's where salvation is found. When those people become the rallying point or, dare I say, the source of division in a church, then those who claim to be followers of Jesus need to have a bit of a rethink. But Paul almost mocks the attitude that they have. He says, that, says this in uh, verse 13, that there are people who say, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos. Well, look at what he says, though. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised into the name of Paul? The answer is, no, you weren't. If pride is one of the major issues in Corinth, then Paul sees his mission as being to bring the Corinthians back down to earth. Paul spends most of these opening chapters trying to just give the Corinthians a little bit of a shake in their thinking. In a way that only a friend can, Paul gives them a little reminder of who they are. Jump down to verse number 26 in chapter 1. He says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. I mean, it's as if he's saying, let's face it, there wasn't much about you that God would have been impressed by, would there? I mean, let alone God being impressed by you, most people wouldn't be impressed by you because there's nothing pretty, nothing significant about you. See, Paul's trying to give them that shake and ask them, how is it that you came to know God? How is it that you were made right? How is it that you were saved? By believing a message that in itself actually looks pretty foolish and weak. By believing in a message that looks foolish and weak, in a world that measures everything by success and power, Paul reminds them how it is that they are made right with God through the death of Jesus on the cross. In Corinth, like any other city, I suppose, people are measured by the measures that we still use today. You're measured by your wealth, you're measured by your occupation or you're measured by your place in our society. And Paul says that God works in a rather upside-down manner. So look at verse number 18, chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. I'm sure that most people know that experience. When you're in primary school and it's sport day and uh, the way that they're going to organise the teams is they're going to choose two captains, two of the sporty athletic people, and they get to choose one at a time who's going to be in the team. And they're looking for the most athletic, the most agile, the most sporty kids, and you're hoping that the, that the, the captain is going to choose you. Well, Paul says that the Corinthians have confused things when it comes to God's selection criteria. God works on this upside-down process. God chooses the people who would normally be picked last of all. God wants to show that his selection process is not flawed. Their selection process is flawed. He wants to show that winning is about what God does not about what you do. Go back to the opening words of the letter in verse 4. Did you notice that Paul talks about what God has done for them, for the Corinthians? Not what they've done for God. All of the things that are listed in there are things that God has done for them. He doesn't talk about their efforts. He doesn't talk about what the Corinthians have done to help themselves. He's not interested in their achievements. It's all about how gracious God has been to them and to us. It's all about what God has blessed them with. So he says in verse 31, you've got nothing to boast about other than the fact that God has done great things for you. God has chosen the foolish and the weak things of this world to shame a world that thinks a different way. The message of the cross could hardly look any more foolish in the eyes of our world. A 30-year-old Jewish carpenter's son dies on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. I mean, the message of the cross could hardly look any weaker than that. How do you win by dying? How do you call it a victory when your enemies are the ones who are nailing you to the cross? But that's the way that God's at work in the world. That's the message that Paul preached when he came to Corinth. That's the message that the Corinthians needed to hear in this wealthy, well-to-do town. We can fall into the same trap as the Corinthians, thinking that strong, the wise, the powerful that they're the ones who are admirable in our world. They have the things that are desirable. But look again at what Paul says, chapter 1, verse 30. But it is because of him, that is God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written... Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. There have been plenty of powerful and persuasive speakers throughout the history of our world. One of them was clearly Adolf Hitler. He almost 
get, got the whole of Germany on side with his ideas. Not everyone, but just about the whole country was on board with what he said. He was a brilliant orator, a man who could stand up and persuade that entire nation of the things that he believed. He was so persuasive, he was such a good speaker that he appeared to be wise, that he appeared to be making sense with what he was saying. It seems the Corinthians have been exposed to some persuasive speakers as well, people with the mastery of words, people who can motivate an audience with the things that they say. And look at what Paul says, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. The Corinthians didn't believe because Paul was persuasive. They believed because the Spirit opened their eyes to see the truth about who Jesus is. In the end, it's really only one thing that can bring people to believe that good news. In the end, it can only be God's Spirit that enables people to see the foolishness of the cross and to see that that is where my salvation is found. In the end, it's only God's Spirit that can enable us to see beyond the weakness of that gospel message, to know that it is the truth. We're going to cover a lot of issues as we look through 1 Corinthians over these next few weeks, but what we see Paul working hard to do is to get the Corinthians to understand the culture that they are living in, not to just meld and, and, and fold into that culture, to think about their lives, their relationship with each other, he wants them to see the world through gospel-shaped eyes, through gospel-shaped glasses. They lived in a culture that measures things by, by possessions, by power, by status, by money. And that kind of thinking was creeping into the church. They're living in a culture where, where people worshipped with sex. And that kind of thing is creeping into the church. They're in a culture that applauds wisdom and that kind of thinking was making its way into the church. But it's not just Corinth or Greek culture that's like that, is it? I mean, we're faced with exactly the same issues in Australia today. We live in a world, we live in a country where people strive for position and power and status. We live in a world where People worship sex. We live in a world that applauds wisdom and all of those things can creep into our church as well. And the temptation is always there to just shape our church a little more like our society. That'll help us to be accepted and maybe encourage more people to come in. It can be tempting to shape the gospel message that we believe to just be that little bit more appealing to the world that we live in. This letter is a great reminder that we need to keep examining our culture and examining our church. We may not live in Corinth, but our society may not be that different today. 
We're certainly, we're not to fear the surrounding culture. We just need to make sure that we don't unwillingly or unknowingly shape our church by our culture. We just need to make sure that we are sure of the gospel message that we have believed and that we are seeking to be conformed to the image, not of our society, but to the image of Jesus Christ, that our lives might look more and more each day like the life that he lived.